0: Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Akash Pat, and you've tuned in to the DCVC VC podcast. This is a show where we bring leading angel investors and venture capitalists investing in the tech landscape in India and delve deeper into what makes our country one of the most diverse and vibrant tech and VC ecosystems in the world. Today, we're going to talk about gaming and entertainment two sectors that have fascinated me over the years and are very close to my heart because I invest across these sectors as well. This is where I initially earned my stripes within venture capital. To explore India's gaming tech landscape today with me is Saloni Segal, general partner at Lumikai, an early stage gaming and interactive media venture fund. She is an early-stage investor with experience in fund management, portfolio growth, and investing in consumer tech startups with a focus on media and entertainment. Previously, she has been an investment banker at Barclays and a co-founder and CEO of Truly Social, a venture-backed gaming company where she led the company from idea to product reality. I'm super excited to delve deeper into the world of gaming on this episode, and we have a bunch of unique insights about the space. You are in for a great ride. So let's head in and listen to the episode and see what Saloni has to offer. Hi Saloni, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm glad we were able to find some time because I'm super excited about what we have in store today. With that said, welcome and how are you?
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Akash, for having me. I'm looking forward to the chat and uh, looking forward to talking a lot more about uh, gaming.
0: I'm personally looking forward to the next 60 minutes or so because I'm interested in hearing some of the answers to the questions that I have. (laughs) But uh, before all that, I wanted to kick things off with your summary of 2020 and the first quarter of 2021. Talk us through your most significant learnings in perhaps what feels like a decade in itself.
1: Yeah, that's that's such a great way of putting it, right? Like for me, I feel like 2020 is still not over. I think we had this spurt of optimism, at least for all of us in India, where September, October, November, we started seeing case load die down and you know Indians were proving themselves to be invincible. But sadly that doesn't seem to be true because now you're seeing COVID cases come up and um, we're now heading, probably heading into statewide lockdown. So it just feels like this year never ended at all. I think some of the learnings for us, it was quite a monumental year, actually, both personally and professionally. Personally, I got married in 2020. So to be honest, I had a pandemic wedding. And that's something that I'm probably going to be telling uh, people for generations. <laughs> so organizing a pandemic wedding in itself is a, is a feat. Um, professionally, it was a really good year because it was, we launched Lumikai, uh, that's our debut fund, uh, we're India's first dedicated interactive entertainment and gaming fund. And uh, as you would, as you can imagine, fundraising in a regular year is hard. Try raising funds in the middle of a pandemic with countries in various stages of lockdown and no physical meetings and no roadshows. And we Pulled, pulled it off um, you know I think to some extent timing um, the, ma- the opportunity was right we we were in the right place and uh, I think it was it was when we look back I've been very very fortunate and very grateful that we've had the head start that we've had at least professionally and 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 uh, I think the last major learning was you know if we emerge out of all of this unscathed and healthy, I think you should consider yourself lucky.
0: Do you, to an extent, believe that the sectors that the fund was focusing on kind of had the whole fundraising process? Because one of the sectors that we saw, which perhaps benefited the most was the entertainment space, right? Gaming, entertainment, lifestyle, new media, all of this kind of benefited during the lockdown itself. And we saw a lot of people just sitting at home, not knowing what to do. And therefore they were drawn to all of these other avenues. Do you think that helped you particularly go out and raise a fund? Or do you think there was a combination of other things that also came into place?
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, part part of uh, any fundraising process is not just getting the story right, but also getting the timing right. Um, you know we saw what uh, i believe is india going through a really transformative period at least with respect to gaming and interactive right the pandemic saw digital acceleration which has brought forward what i'm calling india's techn technological revolution by four to five years you know so you already had a market which uh was was benefited by let's say the geo data boom and geo explosion and smartphone proliferation right so now you have a market of 650 internet users 350 smartphone users out of which majority are gamers and you've got an average indian consuming 12 gigabytes of data a month primarily for video content and gaming that's pretty seminal right last year 2020, Indians consumed 7.3 billion gaming apps, beating much more mature markets like the US, right? Like I've never seen that before. And this is because COVID brought about a systemic change, right? You had people um, signing up for broadbands and data connections. Like I I think if I recall the stat, right? But broadband connection, ISP connections increased 150% in the first quarter of um, lockdowns. So millions of people were brought online for the first time, and that behavior is not going to go away after the pandemic, right? And 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 that in in that sense, gaming was a massive beneficiary of this. And I believe that's going to stay. And if we look at, let's say, the larger picture of what's happening in India, which is no different from the rest of the world, you know, there's this trend of techno-nationalism. but more importantly, Lomika, you know, we have internally coined this word called digital decolonization. You know, we are seeing more and more Indians reclaiming their digital identities, talking about India first games, talking about India first entertainment. And there's just an increasing desire to decouple from the West now, which is also unprecedented. So now on one side, you have consumer tastes, which have evolved. And on the other side, you've got game. Usage, adoption, infrastructure, monetization—all converging, which creates the right uh, right ingredients for for really really big and exciting things to happen.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. The gaming sector in India attracted close to about 550 million dollars in investments just between August 2020 and Q1 of 2022, and that's significant, right? It tells a lot about consumer behavior. Talks a lot about Where the industry is headed towards. And I want to delve a little more deeper into the subject slightly later. But Mm -hmm. one aspect that you highlighted was raising a fund during a pandemic. We talked about how maybe the thesis kind of eased out. But talk to us a little bit more about the challenges that you faced. You know, even having the thesis and live thesis kind of playing out in front of you. I'm sure it must have been difficult. I'm sure it's not easy to pitch to somebody on Zoom and you know, closing funds on Zoom is not is very unheard of we've seen a couple of funds that were launched in 2020 but a lot of the fund managers have had a lot of difficulties in closing them talk to us a little bit about that talk to us about that experience and how did you guys initially plan everything out and saying okay this is going to be our fundraising strategy and how quickly did you have to adapt and move and then try and close things around at any point did you Second guess yourself. Was there any element of doubt involved? Can can we raise a fund? Can we not raise a fund? What kind of LP conversations were you having? And take us through that whole process. I think it's so fascinating to hear somebody who's gone through that journey. And I can only imagine what it must have felt like to fundraise in
1: 2020. Yeah. You know, those are experiences now. I'm gonna to have to jog back memory lane. Um, even though it's not too far off, it still feels like a different life. Um so I think uh for both But in our case, in Lumikai's case, I guess, you know, we're a little bit fortunate. And I remember when we did our first close last year in August, our fund administrators told us that, and, and fund lawyers that there were 200 funds in the works that they were working with and out of which only two closed. And we were one of those two. So you can, you know, that goes back and that's just anecdotal data of how difficult it was to to fundraising last year. For us, um, and Lumika, and you know, both for myself and Justin, uh, who is my co GP, we came from the sector. So we had very large global networks. And essentially the genesis of this fund was actually mooted between us and a few of our large uh, strategic. Uh, connections who we were very keen on the India market. So we never did a broad sweep fundraise in the first place. It was a very curated list of, um, I guess, investors that we went to, and we were very fortunate that they signed up um, for for this journey with us. And you know, we're very grateful to them for that. Um, our fund is largely backed by some of the world's largest games and media conglomerates, either multi-billion dollar uh, companies across the world. And you know, they instilled their faith in us very quickly. And that allowed us to, I guess, do our first close within six months of us starting off in our journey, which is which is really unusual and unheard of. and. Um, a few of them I'd met in person who'd known me from my previous days as an investor at LVP and as a former entrepreneur. A few of them I met through uh, over Zoom, but overall, I think it was, you know, we've been very fortunate that whoever we tapped out, um, tapped into, decided to back mm-hmm. us. And I guess that made the journey a lot easier for us. And it's quite uh, unconventional, I would say. So. Uh, you know, we, we uh, it was a combination of right time, uh, the right people, the right networks, uh, all coming together uh, for for this.
0: Now, if you were to do that whole process all over again, looking back at some of your experiences and learnings, what is one thing that you would perhaps do differently than what you did?
1: Um, that uh, I don't think we would have done anything differently. To be honest, um, we. You know, we we got the investors that we liked. We uh, we obviously we had a larger corpus, um, but broadly, I don't think we would have done anything differently. I think we were down a certain path. Uh, we were we we got a great reception from the market that we were uh, going to be investing in, even when we were in stealth mode. I I'd say we were the worst kept secret. In the indian games ecosystem because we were seeing active deal flow come to us even even in stealth mode we would looked at about 100 180 deals uh, so i i don't think we we would have done anything differently to be honest
0: that's very interesting you mentioned that so i guess a good segue would be to talk about your background now i really want to delve a little more deeper into how this whole fund came into being you know we spoke about the genesis you know before we got into the recording And uh, last week when we connected as well, we, I was very curious about how that whole journey played out for you personally, take us, take us and some of our listeners through how this whole thing happened. Why now? And what was the tipping point for you? When did you realize that, you know what, I want to launch my own fund. These, this is the sector that I want to be uh, operating in. And when did you make that plunge? Talk us through that whole, um, that whole process.
1: You know, it's incidental. We have our Lumikai. We we're doing our Lumikai values and vision workshop this Friday, and um, this is a very key part of that. You know, finding our personal why's and hows of um, our journey, a professional journey. So it's it's great timing to uh, answer that question because we've just been um, uh, asking us ourselves that question and formulating it um, to to bring the, you know, to do this as a team activity together, but look so you know just just my professional background i have been in the industry for the last 15 years and i like to say i've been on all sides of the table so i've been uh an, an MA banker private equity specialist i was an entrepreneur building my own gaming company and then i've been an investor and now um, a fund manager i, I Started off my journey and a, half of my career has been in the global markets. Half of that has been in the India market. So I started off my journey on investment banking, private equity was with Morgan Stanley, Barclays, Good Energies. You know, I had over $10 billion of M&A experience. I then went on to build a company called Truly Social, which was a venture-backed gaming studio, which was building immersive social worlds for female audiences and, you know, was running that. And that's where I met my investors who became the fund that I later on joined, a fund called London Venture Partners, which is, again, one of the pioneering early stage gaming and interactive media VCs in Europe who both became my investors and eventually I joined them full time um, as part of the fund. Um, That was, um, I guess, you know, that's when I fully transitioned from entrepreneur operator to investor. And it was the perfect culmination of, my skill sets over the years, you know, both from a qualitative and a quantitative pers- perspective. And at that point of time, it was a, you know, I b- brought this toolkit I'd amassed from all the years of being an entrepreneur, being on the private equity and the M&A side. I think when I was transitioning that choice that I had to make was early stage venture or more later stage growth stage, private equity style investing. I chose early stage. Uh, I believe early stage has certain nuances. It's incredibly exciting. Um, And also, particularly for the industry of my choice, which was gaming, the inflection point for gaming companies comes quite early in their life cycle. And I felt I was better equipped to assist founders at that stage as opposed to more growth stage investing. I think the choice of fund was largely twofold. fold One was, you know, when I was at LVP, uh, there that these these, and I I was leading their first close for their third fund. Um, um, you know, these thoughts started germinating, and I had started to see a lot of deal flow come from India. And at that point of time, I was also looking to transition back to the India market uh, because my partner was based here. But you know, that was a time we started to see. There are lots of things happening in the gaming interactive sector, but there wasn't a sector-focused fund. And the market now, um, at, at that point of time, I felt had the breadth and the depth to absorb a sector-focused fund. And I think that was the business motivation to it. I think the, the secondary motivation to becoming an investor. And I think that's largely been the choices um, that I've taken over the years, whether I was becoming a founder, whether becoming an investor as well, was that most of my time uh, during my entrepreneurial journey, uh, and even as being an investor in another fund, I never saw anyone like me sitting on the other side of the table talking about the sector uh, that I wanted to be in. And that perspective in itself made me realize how lopsided the gender scale in venture was. And I was just driven by an intrinsic desire to make make a deeper impact. And that came in the form of Uh, co-founding a fund and launching it for a market that I was deeply passionate about so it you know came together very well.
0: I think that story beautifully ties into some of the skill sets that you have as well I mean you've been extremely focused and uh, aware about the changes that are happening within the Indian ecosystem and that kind of gave you that conviction as well that the time is now and that was one of the things that I wanted to discuss on the podcast as well because I was for a long time i was confused where to really begin the conversation with you because i have so many things running in my mind right okay. now you know because we, we talk about gaming we talk about entertainment and you and i had this discussion previously last week as well it's such a hot space and um, you know you and i both kind of invest in this uh, sector as well and i wanted to let this conversation unfold very organically and you know with that caveat i want to kick things off with this question what are you seeing that's hot right now within the entertainment and gaming space in India, and what have you been investing into lately personally yourself from a fund perspective?
1: Yeah, so you know I think India gaming is is a different beast. Let, you know I I think let's take step, let's take a step back to answer that question. The first is gaming as an asset class is deeply misunderstood, right? And it's as you very correctly said, it's just such an Interesting space. It has now become mainstream, and it has uh, been for years been very misunderstood. You know, the in- sector in itself has been called hit driven, high risk. It's oversaturated. It's competitive, and a lot of uh, investors have steered clear from from gaming companies or from backing games companies. And India, in that manner, has been no different. The Indian gaming ecosystem has was largely been undercapitalized, right? Um, and there are nuances to investing in gaming, which are different from that of, let's say, consumer internet, which warrants to have specialized investors in this space. I mean, there's a reason why there are, you know, north of 40 global gaming funds operating now in the world. And, you know, there, there is a reason why there is a sector focus thesis required for this sector, right? Because there are certain things which um, you need to keep in mind, for example, in gaming, it's important to enter and invest earlier than most other technology investments. And that's an assessment that is very hard for a lot of investors to discern without looking at obvious metrics, right? Um, the second common mistake that people make while looking at gaming is, you know, it's it's a sector, it's like a monolithic entity. So uh, you've backed one content player, you have one in- gaming platform play and you feel you're done covering the sector. But you know the problem with the sector is that it's got massive depth and it's got massive breadth. Um other problems when you're looking at gaming, right? Are there's no problem solution framework when you analyze gaming companies. You know, we talk a VCs like to talk about this vitamin painkiller approach. You you don't have while you're building gaming content you don't have an inherent problem right your biggest competition is boredom and that isn't a problem in a traditional sense but it's a byproduct of the attention economy that we live in so how do you pick and back founders who you believe will build truly delightful fun experiences which to some extent capture 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 the zeitgeist of what's trending now you know, you have to get the timing right. You invest too early, you have a graveyard of VR startups, you invest too late and you've missed that hype cycle. Um, whether you have large addressable audiences or not sometimes doesn't matter in gaming because smaller niche companies can achieve very massive outcomes. Um, whether you are, uh, and, and so so there are, there are a lot of these kind of very pecu- peculiar elements of games investing which I think often get misunderstood. And it's important to put it out there that gaming is in itself a very complex asset class to invest in. So when we look at the sector, we look at it both top-down and I guess to some extent bottom-up, but top-down, Indian gamers are very different from that of Western gamers. You see, India never had that linear trajectory of we, we didn't have arcades, we didn't have consoles, we didn't have PCs. Um, and then we didn't see the rise of paid games or, and uh, subscription, uh, so free-to-play, freemium games and subscription games, so on and so forth, which other Western and more mature markets have gone through. Indians have become first-time mobile smartphone users. Some of them are first-time gamers, and they've been exposed to everything from audio chat, video, uh, social media, gaming, uh, pretty pretty quickly and all at the same time. And to some extent, they are very primitive, but to some extent, they're very sophisticated because in India, the demand has largely for gaming has been catered to by foreign uh, publishers, right? So you've got the PUBG's and the Clash of Clans and the Garena's and the Free Fire's of the world doing exceedingly well because that was their first gaming experience. Now, if you're starting off with that gaming experience like action-adventure games of first-person shooters or these multiplayer games, uh, that level of sophistication as as a gamer is, is really hard to design for, right? Also, and I say primitive, because Indians are just getting used to in-app purchases. And when we talk about real money gaming, you know, they're just getting used to staking small amounts on digital platforms for the very first time. So right. it's a very, you know, very complex digital sociology to unpack for, and and built for and I think that's what makes this market very unique. That's what got got us so interested is that you know, there's clearly massive demand. Mm-hmm. There's there's you know out of the top grossing fifty apps, less than thirteen percent of them are India first or India content. So there's clearly a massive white space to build here. Right. Um, and uh, you just need the right catalyst to allow these founders. To go out and build it, and I guess that's that's the kind of gap that we got attracted to, and that's why we're here.
0: Well, those are the fantastic points that you've raised, and I want to break them down one by one. And I want to perhaps begin with why it's interesting for me personally, because I see gaming, uh, especially consumer-focused gaming uh, businesses, very similar to social network or uh, social networking platforms that we saw back in the day. You know, uh, if you just take a look at, for example, PUBG you mentioned, uh, or Call of Duty, or Fortnite. It doesn't look that different from what Facebook kind of looked back in the day, if you think about it. Because for more people today, it's less about just playing the game. Well, it's it's not even about actively playing the game. It's about having those conversations around it. You know, there's, there's user chats, there's interactions. You end up watching others. Discord and other pla- platforms in itself have become communities that kind of have a belongingness. You can almost compare it to how Facebook initially started building out its own platform. And that to me makes this whole space even more exciting. If we compare this space to something that's already had success in the past and we draw parallels from it, we can actually make more people who don't understand the space, um, you know, perhaps get more familiar with what is the potential that we are seeing here within the market itself. And that to me particularly becomes um, very interesting because... Even when we talk about games, we are not talking about Call of Duty or PUBG as a one-off hit, right? These are living franchises if we talk about it.
1: And they've gone on
0: to like build ancillary revenue models and businesses on their own. Like for example, you can see what happened with Marvel. I mean, started off as a franchisee with movies, but then today you've got games, you've got toys, you've got lifestyle. You have so many other ancillary products and um, services that have come out from one, one particular uh, and very similarly, we have seeing that with gaming as well. You know, gamers, yeah. um, you know, used to, they, we're used to having releases every five or six years. I mean, uh, barring all of the sports games like your FIFA and your NBAs that kind of come out every year with not much of significant changes apart from teams. But you saw only these uh, changes come about like five or six years. But today, you, even if you were to delay that, there's so many other things that you can build around that you don't really feel that there's a there's an absence of a product because as you mentioned, there's in-app purchases, there are seasons that are coming across within games itself. Even when we talk about Call of Duty, even if Call of Duty doesn't release its own like next iteration of the mobile app, you just have these in-app seasons that just make it more interesting. You have maps coming out every now and then. That in itself becomes you know very hyper uh, local within the game and that kind of keeps people in- interested and that enough to get talking, enough to increase r2 uh, enough to increase uh, purchases. So all of that makes this space extremely, extremely interesting in my opinion. And yeah. th- that was the first breakdown that I wanted to do. And the second thing that you mentioned was the mobile phone penetration, right? Mm-hmm. Now that's basically been one of the challenges that uh, a lot of companies have faced. We Again, going back to PUBG for, for that matter, we've seen that India has become the second largest smartphone market in the world. Although the smartphone penetration has kind of remained low at about 37% or so, uh, so to speak, and if you take that one step further and look at uh, the uh, the ARPUs within you know gaming itself, they're significantly lower in spite of India having a large user base for some of these games. Now, as you sitting from an investor vantage point, how do you address this? How do you have conversations with your portfolio founders for the matter, or when you are evaluating some of the startups how are you thinking about how you address this like the revenue is always going to be a challenge within um the indian markets are you seeing there's going to be are you seeing some shift that's taking place and when you are having you know conversations with your portfolio founders how do you sit with them and talk to them about the monetization aspect because that's one tough nut that hasn't been cracked at scale it's happened in pockets but not at scale so how how do you how do you answer that? How do you think about that internally yourselves?
1: Yeah. So let me let me tackle uh, you know both of very big uh, broad questions. Let me tackle the first one. You know you said that the games of today look like the social media of your and I'm going to throw that back at you. In fact, the games are entrenched in our regular lives without us even realizing it. In fact, the bedrock of every addictive social consumer experience that you've talked about finds its genesis in gaming you know that loop of positive feedback that social connectivity that culture of collaboration that has made so that made social media apps so irresistible are actually all game mechanics in disguise you know messaging uh, finds its roots from 4chan and its predecessors likes and hearts on facebook were actually old school digital badges you know your your iphone sticker emoji packs are is virtual gifting uh so these were all Agreed. things that we have as gamers if you've grown up playing games you there is absolutely this transferable expertise that social media now leveraged for designing social consumer products but these were all started with with gaming so gaming is actually at the vanguard of any kind of information you know there's this uh, Professor Byron Reeves at Stanford, he has a very famous quote, which Mary Mika quoted in, a, in her uh, 2017 or 2018 report, is that if you want to see what business leadership will look like in tech in three to five years, look at what's happening in online gaming now. So in fact, gaming is going to be the next generation medium of communication, collaboration, trust, and cooperation, because that is what, gaming games are built to do and you know there's a very interesting story and i don't know whether you know cut it out if you feel you don't have time for it but the genesis of gaming they say and started about 2500 years ago is there was this greek philosopher who wrote about it saying that you know there was a kingdom of lydia where there was a famine and there was such a severe famine that they could not feed the population so the king came up with the fact that on, they invented dice games, which was the very first kind of games that were created. And they set up a policy that on one day, people would eat, on the next day, people would play games. And people became so immersed playing dice games, and the games were so satisfying and so fulfilling that people forgot that they had no food to eat. And again, they started doing this. And then they did this for 18 years, apparently, and they survived through a famine by eating one day and playing games on the next day. And this is what what gaming has now come to will come to mean is that it's a perfect space for collaboration perfect space for connectivity perfect space for um, just social validation as well in a in a way that i guess other entertainment medium does not fulfill right gaming is is lean forward experiences you know we talk about television cinema or all, all lean back experiences Gaming uh, is a unique experience is where the player gets agency, they have full control of their, um, their life or their, you know, their in-game characters, which sometimes in life you don't have. And this is more and more when we see in a generation which has grown up swiping uh, rather than liking this is a generation of digital natives so you can only imagine what the next gener- 10 years of what gaming can be and especially with the technological changes that are happening so swiftly is what those experiences will look like so it's it's much more beyond um, fortnite so I, I you know gaming goes back years and in fact it's the bedrock of you know every experience that you have right now and in fact perhaps not every company is probably not a games company but every company to some extent uses game mechanics and uh, and that will be more and more what we'll see if companies in the future do
0: i'm so glad you brought this topic up in the story because uh, sorry to interrupt you um, yeah. because it brings up this philosophical um, debate and we don't need to get into it but it's just you know one of those things that came up while you were talking this is also exactly how we you know look at Escaping real world suffering, you know, you talked about how you know, this kingdom of Lydia went almost 18 years, if I'm not wrong. I mean, I remember yeah. this from back in the 18 years surviving this famine. Now, that's exactly how we look at today's games as well. It's, a, it's an escape mechanism in, in a way or so. We're using it to like get away from the real world. We're using games to get away from everything that's broken in the real environment and everything that's not satisfying about the real world. And, we're, and that's what we're getting from games so from on a yeah. philosophical level i personally feel as much as i'm drawn to it it also is a separate world in itself that's kind of taking us away from everything that we need to and kind of like heals pain in one way or the other which is both good and bad uh but we we don't need to get delve into that but i just thought it was interesting yeah. to bring up as you know you brought that topic up it finally, kind of like resonated about uh, escapism yeah. in one way or the other
1: yeah yeah, and and that's escapism is not bad, right? I think gaming, and now you know even scientifically, and sure. if you look at research, games has gone on to prove that you know you're better for you develop strategy skills. You're better for playing games rather than not. You develop collaborative skills. Right. Um, you know, you 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 want as gamers, you want to imagine these epic wins, and in life you may not get that, but that gives people the means to achieve those epic wins, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a conversation that we could go on. Our, for hours about but to answer your second question which is a lot more specific i guess to india and india monetization now look i think indians have always paid for ent- entertainment right um we've always paid those cable connections and subscription television um because we wanted to be entertained now we are a generation um of indians who are uh at least to some extent because you know uh, we don't have that outdoor infrastructure of uh, or that you know focus on sports as a generation we're we're, we're quite time rich so when you're time rich the the, um, the choice becomes the obvious choice of spending passive time is is entertainment and gaming has been one of those choices right so now if we are to look at some of the trends that we are seeing, like, for example, PUBG was a great trend, right? It was a action game, came to the market, uh, you know, very heavy download. Who would have thought that game would have ever worked in India? But it did. And at its peak, it was at 18 million daily actives and um, and just, uh, just a phenomenal success in monetization. And that told you something. And that Indians were monetizing and Indians were making in-app purchases. And those purchases are largely vanity items, right? Those those purchases are skins that give you no gameplay benefit, but just for the sheer satisfaction of a gamer. So Indians did monetize there. Indians are monetizing on free fire. Um, And Indians are spending money. We have recently started seeing trends of virtual gifting happening in India as well. When we speak to some of our larger investor base, India is now coming into the top 10 grossing countries and top five grossing countries for them. That's never happened before. So, you know, to some extent, um, there is a little bit of user adoption, uh, there is a little bit of user training, but also you have to ask yourself is there gaming content that is India first that is currently worth paying for? And that will answer your question, mm-hmm. right? In, I And mean, gaming is something which is global. It's, you know, you can compare to the best. And when you look at that quality, you want that quality and only then will you pay for it. So an Indian user is a discerning user. So that user, and she needs to be treated with that respect as well. When you look at the quality of games that you build for the India market. And that's the advice that we give um, founders is that find white spaces, find opportunities which where indian audiences are underserved and go out and build those and we will help you find the right quality the talent the capital uh the partners to help you do that
0: that kind of raised a good point here which is do you localize your offering or do you just maintain a standardized version of your product now taking the example of perhaps um pubg which was super successful within the Indian ecosystem and Indian in, in within within the various demographics of uh, the users. I don't think there was a whole lot of localization that went into making the game popular from a game mechanics perspective and the development perspective. And then then you saw Ludo King and some of the other stuff that came out uh, on the casual gaming side, which also captured um, the attention of users. So when you're looking at it or when you're speaking to founders or you know, when you are looking at the industry from an outsider perspective, are you looking for companies that are entering Indian markets to localize some of their offerings? Or do you expect and want them to come the way that they've built it for global audiences as well? What's like the best, what's the best India strategy for an outside player entering our country?
1: So, you know, it's neither, it's not either or. You see, this is entertainment. There's not a one uh, one stop solution for entertainment right because look at the content or the movies out there can you say that only action movies of a certain caliber will work in India that's not true right because you have very diverse audiences and India is countries is many countries within you know within within itself you know people no
0: but perhaps you into. could I mean when you take a look at the analytics you can really get you know one certain type is working and one isn't right so you still have Perhaps it's consumed by various sectors of the country, but there is one genre that are within even, uh, say, action, that's perhaps doing really well. Maybe foreign action cinemas are not doing as well as, as much as localized action cinema. So you have nuances that can that at least pop up. So I'm trying to like draw parallels from from that and see within gaming, would that also be possible, especially when you have foreign entrants into our market? Sure.
1: But uh, to that extent, for example, you've got a, you know, if you look at that comparison, you've got a PUBG, which is popular, but also a Ludo King that is popular, right? Because gamers and genres of gamers are so diverse. Uh, You have a 100, 200 million population in India, which is deeply Westernized. And those guys are playing PUBG's um, and those guys are also playing Fortnite. They're also playing Minecraft and they're also playing uh, Roblox and some of those other games. And then you've got, but uh, games like Free Fire, which are very popular in tier two, tier three cities. So, or there's a Ludo King, which really appeals to, let's say, casual gamers, right? So depending on which genre you pick, depending on which audience you want to build for, are you building for uh, 16 to 25 year old men? Or are you building for 40 plus women? Are you building for teen girls? All of that really depends on... Uh, And all of that will go into those choices will matter when you're picking the genre and when you're picking the kind of audience uh, who you want to consume your, uh, who wants to consume your products. Now, for example, PUBG was successful because India's college going kids have been playing Counter-Strike and Dota and those games for the longest time. You know, they've been buying those counterfeit cartridges, and they've grown up playing those games, so there was automatic affinity. Ludo works because there's there's a cultural resonance with it in terms of, you know, it's a it's the game of Pachisi, but also it's a game that we all grew up playing, there's a lot of nostalgia involved in it. So yeah, I, I think my, my point is that, you know, gaming needs are diverse, and there can be people who play um, a Ludo game, uh, there can be women who play a Ludo game, but also at the same time play a Farmville game, right? there can be that overlaps as well. And I guess that is important to understand when you're looking at the India market that there are diverse tastes here and there is depth in, in genres. Um, I think what I'd rather speak to for what Indian founders can do better uh, rather than what outsiders are, because India is currently seeing a fairly, um, you know, it is an import market at the moment where we're seeing foreign publishers. I'd rather answer about what Indian uh, founders can do better. Indian founders need to find their white space and gaming is, require game development particularly if you're looking at content requires a certain kind of mindset and a certain kind of mentality, right? You're rarely going to get the game going well in the first go. Not even the best teams not even Supercell got their first hit on their first game. Like you need three, four shots at goal to get it right. And you need to build experience in a particular genre to get it right. Too often we see, you know, founders saying, oh, we want to build hyper casual. Oh, but the next game we're going to build is a first person shooter. And then after that, we're going to build a mid core game. But the skill sets required for each are very different. So you've got to stay focused. You've got to pick your genre. Second is pick a genre which has a white space um, for whether it's original IP games or whether it's games for women. Pick pick a genre which has a white space, which gives you a higher chance of success. And it doesn't need to be that you have to be always first to market. There's, you know, in games, fast follows work. So if the number one player does well, number two and number three also do well. So I think it requires a little bit more understanding of the landscape and much deeper understanding of the sociology of the users that you're building for, especially when you're building entertainment and gaming products.
0: It's very interesting. It's, uh, especially when you talk about picking a genre and trying to build around it, right? Um, we've, when we talk about genres, we talk about skill-based, arcade, sports, um, adventure, racing, strategy, so on and so forth. Now you've kind of like seen all of these companies go out and come and build. And I really resonate with the fact that you mentioned why you got to like pick one of the sectors, uh, one of these um, genres and try to um, see if you're actually able to nail down on it. Mm-hmm. When you're looking from a developer perspective, when, you were, like, when you're in looking at, all of these developer companies that are coming out, publishers that are putting out games. How do you then have conversations with them when, you know, you? How do you? How do you go out and have a conversation with a founder who has successfully built um, a particular game in a genre, and is now trying to venture out into a better or a different genre altogether? Started off and say sports and has number one sporting app in the country, and now wants to get into. Completely different, say puzzles or strategy or gaming for that, or, or uh, action-oriented uh, multiplayer online game for that matter. How do you then have that conversation with the founder and you know ask them to like double down on on the sectors that they understand? Because I understand the other side. The flip of it is, if you're not if you're not successful in one, it's very difficult for you to be successful in the other ones. But a founder has already been successful, how do you negotiate or have that conversation, saying and convince them not to go after another sector that perhaps that they really want to go after how do you manage that conversation
1: yeah i think that's an interesting question that's a good question uh that's a, a conversation that we've had we've had a few times in the in the past um, that i can think of you know to, to be honest it's uh it's providing them perspective and providing them a feedback because game development is a muscle that builds over time you know you have certain learnings that you develop in a certain genre some of which are transferable uh some of which are maybe maybe not there are of course exceptional teams who can build multi-genre games and and build very successful companies around it but typically that's that's rare i think you know if you have build expertise in let's say sports games or cricket games for example then go down that path of thinking about what are the other experiences which are synergistic to what you've built already that you can then provide to your users right Maybe is it um, is it adjacent other sports games or how do you deepen the mechanics of the sports games that you're already building? But typically, these massive pivots from genre uh, require a lot of time and a lot of capital. So if yes, you have gained um, you know tremendous amount of success through building in a one genre and now you want to I- experiment then great, go go for it. If you've got the wherewithal and the resources to do it and the talent to do it and, and the time, bandwidth to do it, go for it. You know, gaming is a creative and it's an innovative space. Breakthroughs come, come when you least expect it. Uh, however, if, you know, for example, if you're a venture-backed company, you're down a particular path and you have achieved success in that path, I think it'll require some kind of very serious, convincing and... Uh, to be able to say, we're going to now pivot and go down a completely other genre and then also achieve that similar success because there's no guarantee, right? It is it is a business which is um a, which is uh, to some extent hit driven in that sense is that, and it is, you're, you have to look at what the com- competition is in that space. Like, are you the best at building live multiplayer uh, experiences? Um, and if so, then, okay, sure, then maybe you want to build down it and you want to innovate on a genre, but if not, then maybe rethink and play to
0: your strengths. Those are some interesting points that you bring up. And one of the things that I want to follow up is with the demographic expansion in the country, you touched upon perhaps the opportunity in building out games for very specific audiences, could be women, could be girls under um, specific age categories for that matter. And with respect to a bunch of subsectors, um, so to speak within gaming, uh, what's the opportunity? Where are you seeing this expansion take place? Now, we could get in, we can, you know, kind of split that down into genres, or we can actually split that down based on uh, the sectors that you're seeing within the gaming realm um, uh, as such. Now, we get that, you know, we spoke about this internet penetration, smart penetration, all of that has accelerated growth in these sectors. But what else can you share with us, perhaps on the consumer behaviors that explains why um, you know we are perhaps entering a very ever very lush period within um, the gaming sector in the coming years and how demographic expansions can take place at scale
1: yeah yeah that's you know that's that's a um i think topic very close to my heart i think i posted something um, on this on linkedin but you know demographic expansion is actually driving the growth that we are seeing in gaming at the moment. And it's is why globally gaming is becoming mainstream. It's just simply more kinds and more diverse kinds of people are playing games and people who were originally thought of as non-traditional gamers are now spending time on games. So, but that supply is less, right? So I think Google and Muzu uh, did a white paper a couple of years back and essentially their finding was that 60% of global casual gamers are women, but less than 20 or 30% of apps are catered towards them. Now, India is increasingly coming closer to the global average in terms of women playing games, but we don't yet see content catered for them. And that content remains scarce and underserved. And, and if you were to look at broadly, yes, female oriented digital content in general is, is quite underserved, but we've made strides there, but somehow that's not translated um, into, into gaming content. And there are little known facts about female gamers that they tend to over-index versus men on, on loyalty, time, and money. They retain better, they spend more money, and they just, um, they, they're much more loyal. But the flip side to that is in India, for example, While, you know, for the longest time, smartphone penetration skewed heavily male, that is now equalizing. But financial independence, or let's say penetration of credit cards, or even debit cards for women skewed lower, right? So for example, even if you were to build for that audience at that point, they don't have the wherewithal to purchase. And that will change over time uh, as labor force participation changes and, you know, various other things on the macro aspect change and hopefully should change for the better. But it is one thing, if you are a future facing forward thinking founder, that's a, that's an interesting space for you to think about is like, what can female oriented gaming content look like beyond just dress up and makeup and he, you know, changing clothes and party wear? Uh, what can it actually mean for this next generation of uh, Gen Z millennials who are going to grow up and who've grown up with devices and phones and Instagram and Pinterest? What can you build for them? and which is immersive and interactive. And I think that's that's worth thinking about. Um, and at Lumica, we don't look at the market for today. We look at, at what's going to be 10 years from now. And I think those are interesting questions that we like to see founders answer. I think in other terms of um, other kinds of, I guess, expansion where gaming could go, uh, I think original IP, right? We've got a 5,000-year history where Indians Love their stories. We love storytelling, and we now are seeing technology uh, increase by leaps and bounds. But we still haven't built those immersive, transmedia IPs which can be gaming or those worlds which have, you know, Indian cultural touchstones, etc., which could then appeal to a wider segment instead of your this gamer being just this thirteen-year-old sitting in his, you know, room playing. Dota, but, you know, that that could that, those kind of experiences speak to a much wider audiences and those kind of experiences should also be built out. And that's something for founders to start thinking about. And we're seeing that. We're see, slowly seeing that ambition. We're slowly seeing that vision. And um, I, I think, you know, we're early days for the industry. We've seen the market at inflection points, And these are some directions which I guess founders could start thinking about if they, if they aren't already. And I, I think we're seeing that to some extent.
0: No, I mean, great points again because, as we have seen, VC has been integral to the formation and growth of some of the world's leading gaming brands, who um, have catered to different sectors of um, you know the audience. You know, it could be all the way from Supercell, EA, Riot Games to Twitch and Discord. Some of the most successful gaming and gaming infrastructures have been founded on the back of venture capital, and you have rightly pointed out that. That's the role that we play. That's the role that you know VCs are able to play in terms of one, supporting, and two, identifying where some of the trends are, and kind of backing them at the right time, hopefully. Now, even within gaming, we've seen, you know, broadcasting, publishing, uh, developer ecosystems, fantasy, gambling, analytics, training, marketing, and so on and so forth—a bunch of uh, sectors that are really hot at this point. But I have a two-part question on this front. What are the current things that are top of mind for you from an investment perspective and what does that really tell you about the lp mentality as well not just within your fund but also some of the funds that you co-invest with and are collaborating with within the ecosystem how are they seeing it and how are those conversations plan panning out you did mention that some of your lps kind of get get this space they they understand this space they've been in the space themselves, they understand how gaming works as such. But perhaps let's take a step back and look at funds that are a little more agnostic, and they look at gaming occasionally. They perhaps have one company part of their, uh, you know, fund, um, on so to speak, within the gaming realms. How do you think the conversations, and based on some of the interactions that you have had with fund managers, how do you think their LPs, or you know, how are they thinking about this sector, and how are you educating them on on this sort of an opportunity?
1: Yep so i think the right word is collaboration right so we've already touched base with a, lo- a lot of the domestic investors who are very keen on on gaming and you know we we want to be we want to partner with them and uh, you know we have swapped notes we've swapped opportunities uh, with them as well and it's a largely collaborative experience and i feel that there is merit you know we bring a certain experience and expertise and the domestic funds bring a certain level of experience and expertise and that is only good for the investor so uh, for for founders it's not a it shouldn't have not been either or i think it's the best composite is having having both and that's a collaborative approach is an this is obviously for funds who are invested in gaming there are of course many funds who still view gaming with some skepticism but I'd say largely the domestic ecosystem is waking up to the fact of gaming as an asset class now the way I guess LPs are looking at it now obviously our LPs are very attuned and very acclimatized to gaming Mm -hmm. Um, gaming as an industry it's large some of these they're they're within that industry in itself Um, I think the biggest case study is the Nazara IPO, right? right? It's just been announced. And we've just seen the last two weeks of a massive run-up where Nazara's IPO was oversubscribed by 175 times, right? And that tells you something. And at Dumikai, we we've had certain hypotheses when we uh, wanted to set up and launch the fund. And I think those have largely proven true that we believe that, the sector is counter-cyclical, and hence there will be mainstream interest from, let's say, the larger markets, and that's proved out. The second is we've now seen financial institution investors who are looking at gaming as an investable asset class. Now, Nazara obviously benefits from a scarcity premium that it's the only company in gaming that funds can take exposure on, but that's obviously uh, shown the potential of that industry. The third is you've got strategic interest in the market now. So you've had, you know, Stillfront acquired, Moonfrog. We know that there are a couple of other companies which have uh, been in conversations for MA. and uh, There was, um, you know, Jungle Games just got a strategic investor as well. So clearly there is there is increased strategic, global strategic investor interest in the market. And that's playing out as well. So, you know, obviously the broader themes of, there is a lot of liquidity in the market, um, a lot of global capital inflows looking for higher yields, um, and that's that's industry wide. But gaming is getting its day in the in the sun, as so to speak, uh, with it being recognized as an asset class from both strategics and and financial investors.
0: Now I'll tell you why I brought this topic up because. You and similar funds like yours operate at the earlier stage, right? And yeah. you guys are very focused on helping the companies get from, um, you know, zero to one. Now we need that to happen because if there's more conviction at the early stage, then you're kind of setting them, setting some of these businesses up for better and greater successes as they progress. Now that whole progression from one to 10 or 10 to 100 is where the scarcity kind of perhaps exist in the ecosystem right now nazara is a great example of you know a liquidation event that's taking place within the gaming sector now if you continue and funds like yours continue to back companies um, you know up until series a but there aren't enough funds to take over from there on because you know the ones that operate between your b c d and f and future rounds there are only limited funds in india and most of them kind of happen to be outside investors as well now the good thing about that is the outside investors understand and have seen this global trends take place yeah. now as some of our larger indian funds head towards that sort of a trajectory i'm just hoping that that sentiment and that trend kind of resonates with the indian investors so that there's enough backing that goes in place do you see that as a problem or not because in my head even if the indian domestic investors don't participate in later round stages there is going to be a few there are going to be a few investors in the ecosystem who will participate in. that's like your tiger globals of the world and you have you have these that will come in and, and, and end up backing them do you see that as an issue right now wh- that we don't have enough domestic larger funds backing these um, companies within the gaming space or do you see are you comfortable with how the space has panned out so far
1: yeah, I think, you know, I I, I think that will come uh, over time as you start seeing more, you know, I think we're already seeing a lot of later stage funds approaching our portfolio companies. And, you know, that that was a pleasant surprise for us. So I think that will come. And there is a lot of global capital interest. As I mentioned, you know, there are now 40 global uh, games funds, which focus on varying stages of have, have varying focus of invest uh, of investment stages. Which are you know we're friendly with all of them. Whether it's is makers, is India a focus for some
0: of them, by the way?
1: Many of them, yes.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, makers, Bitcraft, Griffin, Galaxy. You know, all of these guys are later stage investors, and you know we're friends with all of them. That's that's a larger network, and there is active interest in looking at the India market. So to some extent, I feel that that uh, while the domestic uh, investors start educating themselves about the opportunity, there is global capital and, uh, and the domestic capital will follow. And uh, I mean, that's just been the natural trajectory, right? Uh, and um, we, we think that it's an opportunity and that that's, that's bound to happen.
0: Now I'm very confident that there is going to be a lot of interest going forward as well. But however, the biggest hurdle that I believe the gaming industry currently faces is the lack of regulatory framework. How do you see yourselves, by that I mean, VCs who are operating in this space, shaping the framework in the country and what can you do better? And how does the whole ecosystem kind of come together to ensure that we have a proper framework that kind of nurtures this industry as we move forward. And that could also apply to things on fantasy and gambling, which perhaps might not directly fall into the gaming space, but obviously has a massive implication and impact on how gaming ecosystems are built going towards in the future?
1: Um, So, you know, I think the scanner is particularly on real money gaming and fantasy gaming uh, at the moment. And that is clearly, uh, you know, it's a little bit opaque in terms of certain states have taken certain stands and we're still now awaiting news from the center and, you know, since the matter is under consideration, I don't want to comment on it. But the, I think what's important is that the industry is lobbying, the industry has come together, they've joined hands. So, you know, games companies, uh, uh, game, the game developers themselves are now uh, coming together, particularly to educate as well. About you know what is gaming? What are the various genres in gaming? What is esports? What is fantasy? What is real money gaming? And I think um, all we can do at this point of time is educate the market. And uh, and I, I think that's that's already underway. As VC investors, we believe that uh, you know we we uh, haven't made any real money gaming bets, but we believe that there's massive opportunity in other genres. Uh, at the moment, and uh, you know, real money gaming in itself is is under the regulatory uh, scanner. But you know, given Niti Ayog's recent report, given the news from the center, uh, it it could be that instead of going for outright bans, it could be a change in let's say taxation regimes to some extent, uh, which which could be pursued by the government and uh, perhaps that would be the right you know they can't comment on whether that's the right way or the wrong way but uh, at least it gives clarity and i think that's what's most important to build investor comfort
0: these are fantastic points that you bring up and um, i'm incredibly keen on how the regulatory framework will will play out and policies will will play out especially with respect to see mobile fantasy sports in india or um, some of the other stuff that we spoke about now, the Public Gambling Act of 1987, which I can't believe I'm still saying this, uh, <laughs> uh, which deals with premium fantasy sports in the country, still criminalizes gambling in the public mm. for, public format, uh, but fails to distinguish between game of skill versus game of chance, right? So that borderline is kind of where a lot of companies try to operate and justify how their models are built out. Now, when you're looking taking a look at this um, from a VC perspective, how do you advise some of these companies in terms of where they fall like some of them can actually like where's the law and where is the law not operational and how do you kind of classify that when you're investigating and looking at opportunities does that really matter to you uh, in terms of how these companies are positioning themselves because there could be implications, right? At the end of the day, what if these companies do run into lawsuits, and they stand, you know, at the risk of being uh, banned in one case, one form or the other? How do you navigate these murky waters from an investor perspective, and how do you, you know, ensure that you're protecting yourself against some of the investments you make in this sector?
1: Yeah. So at this point of time, I mean, you know, we've obviously looked at a lot of the plays at this point of time, we haven't quite gotten comfortable on the opportunities. And, you know, I guess uh, this is the reason why we haven't made a play in, in this particular space at the moment. That's not mm-hmm. to be said that if there is regulatory clarity and we 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 won't ever make a play. Uh, but at this point of time, I guess we're also, you know, wanting to work alongside the industry and support supporting any efforts which can help uh clarify these matters right what is the game of chance what is a game of skill how do you define it what are these yeah. platforms uh is this real money gaming is it real, Is it gambling uh what is mobile esports and, and i think that that is a first step for us so mm-hmm. for example that's what we spend a lot of time doing like we we wrote up a blog on uh, esports we've you know we've talked about we're, we're now going to do another blog post on um we've previously written about the launching the fund and and just the various genres and the opportunities in in the market. So I think this is a slow education. And as an investor who's looking to be in this market for the long term, uh, we're focusing our efforts on that to help just provide clarity and to work alongside the ecosystem to support any initiatives which can help clarify um, these, these matters.
0: Well, it's been a fantastic conversation so far, uh, Sony. I've enjoyed discussing uh, the trends, um, especially, you know, getting into the gaming side of things. I wish we had an opportunity to get delve a little bit more deeper into the other ancillary uh, sectors that kind of make up the gaming ecosystem in the country. But um, unfortunately we're coming towards the end of the podcast. Uh, and in my opinion, it's been a great conversation. And, uh, you know, I believe that we are amidst uh, one of the most tectonic shifts within the Indian ecosystem with respect to gaming. And we're still in the early stages, as you pointed out previously, as well of that transition. And technologies, as they are emerging, you know, we're talking about 5G, cloud um, streaming, blockchain, I wish we had a little more time to delve into the blockchain and how that could really affect how uh, the ecosystem could look like in the country, given with everything that's happening currently within the Indian ecosystem. And we talked about the crypto side of things as well. Right. Uh, all of these would make for a great second podcast with you at some <laughs> point, for sure. Because as you said, this this is such a vast space. There's no definition yeah. here. There's a lot of uh, intermediaries. There's all overlap with, uh, with sectors that kind of in, fall in and around the space. But we've learned a whole lot about what the evolution has been in the sector so far. So I'd like to thank you for your time and being on the... On the podcast and sharing some of your insights, and I'm really excited about the future of what the gaming ecosystem look like, and more importantly, hopefully collaborating with you with some of the investments and trying and following some of the work that you've been doing, and how Lumikai is going to become a dominant player in shaping what looks like to be a very, very evergreen software market in India going forward. Given that you know all the subjects and not topics and trends that we spoke about previously over the course of the of the episode.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for your interest and uh, look forward to many more conversations and look forward to working together, Akash.
0: Wow, what a fantastic episode that was. We keep getting these amazing guests all the time who share unparalleled and unique insights about the spaces that they invest in and they work in. And I couldn't be more grateful for their support and all the insights that they're sharing with us on this show. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and share, rate and review our podcast because that helps others discover the show as well. One of the things that I want to do going forward as well is get your feedback. If there are guests that you want me to bring onto the show, please drop me a note on Twitter or Instagram or email and let me know and I will try my best to get them onto the show. With that said, we're inching closer and closer towards the landmark 50th episode make sure you tune back in to see who we have lined up to be episode number 50. So until next week, continue to keep hustling everybody and see you on the other side.